Welcome to episode 20 of the WASB Connection Podcast. To help them cope with the disruption caused by the COVID pandemic, public schools are receiving unprecedented levels of federal funding. This is spurring tough decisions about how best to spend this one-time money. Today, we'll talk to business officials about how this funding can be used to help your students without setting your district up for disappointment down the road. We'll talk about potential uses of this funding, including why it might be a good idea to take the time to make the right decisions. We'll also ask business officials what they're looking for from their school boards. Working with the Wisconsin Association of School Business Officials, we've set up a panel including urban, suburban, and rural business officials. We started out by asking them to introduce themselves. I'm from the Menasha Joint School District. I've been uh, just starting my ninth year with the district and 13 years in the profession. My name is Sarah Thiel and I'm with the Iola Scandinavia School District. I've been with Iola Scandinavia for nine years and in school finance for over 15, primarily working in small rural districts in Wisconsin. My name is Joanne Armstrong. I am with the school district of Beloit. I have been with the school district for six years and just under 20 years in school finance in the various urban districts in Illinois and Wisconsin. Good morning. This is John Stelmacher. It's my third year working for the Kettle Moraine School District, and this is my 15th year as a school administrator in Wisconsin. I'm glad we have a good mix of rural, urban, and suburban schools. I'd like to just have an overview of what this aid is. Could we talk about what these packages are and maybe how they differ from each other in broad terms? Sure. This is Sarah from Iola, Scandinavia. So far, there's been three rounds of federal funding coming out. The first round was issued in May of 2020 um, to address issues that schools were facing as a result of the pandemic. I believe the minimum amount of the first round was $40,000, and funding was all based on the Title I formula, which is figured on the number and percent of free and reduced children and families in schools. The award for pretty much all three rounds has been focused on providing high-quality instruction, meeting the needs of kids, educating kids in the pandemic, providing support for online and remote instruction, and anything kind of related to supporting education for kids with the struggles that we're facing throughout the pandemic. There was also a, a piece that came out through the governor. I believe that was issued in July of 2020 for eligible districts. If I'm looking at my notes correctly, I believe 156 school districts qualified for that governor's relief and three tribal schools. Round two was awarded in December of 2020, and that was $686 million that went out. There was also some supplemental pieces that went along with that for about 175 districts that didn't meet a minimum of a $100,000 award or $395 per student. And that additional or that supplemental piece is tied to face-to-face instruction for districts. So I believe that's still in progress on face-to-face instruction that was offered and whether or not those districts are qualifying for that. And round three is in process right now. There's proposed allocations that are out for schools. There's a targeted amount for 20% being targeted to address learning loss. There's a broad range of the amount that districts will receive. How can planning then change based on whether you're an urban, suburban, rural school, or, or somewhere in between? 
For Iola Scandinavia, again, we're a small rural school district in central Wisconsin. We have about 650 students in our district. When we were aware that the federal money was coming out, our administrative team sat down to take a look at what our potential allocation was. Our building level leaders have a pretty good handle on student and staff needs, and we were able to pretty quickly address on best ways to get those funds used to most meet the needs of our kids. So a big struggle for us early on in the pandemic was providing technology access to students in the virtual world. Um, so when the funding became available, the first round of federal funding for us was $65,000. And we knew early on that we were having an issue with technology. So that directly went into purchasing Chromebooks to get into the hands of our kids and into getting hotspots and internet access for students that were having issues getting connected. So we did offer a face-to-face -face instruction from the first day of school, starting the first day of school for the 2021 school year. The $65,000 didn't go real far for us with PPE and social distancing and all of the other things mm -hmm. that, that came along with starting school. So we had lots of other things that we were able to target our second round of federal funding and are continuing to work through with professional development for staff and technology needs for staff with webcams and different things. So we've been meeting as an admin team and working with our staff on what do they need to provide the best level of instruction to our kids and meeting our kids' needs. And that's kind of been the focus of all planning with federal funds. John, can you talk a little bit about your district's perspective? Suburban district might be fair to say. Sure. Yeah, this is John Stelmacher for Kettle Moraine. We are on the western flank of Waukesha County, although I'd like to remind everyone that we also have the Kettle Moraine State Forest. Very beautiful, but intersects our district that makes uh, similar to a rural district sometimes in, in a number of respects as well. Kettle Moraine over the, the past year, similar to some of my colleagues, we did have a very specific need for both face-to-face -face and distance learning instruction within our community uh, over the past year. And in order to offer both a face-to-face -face option or a distance learning option to, to each student throughout the year, we ended up spending about $1.6 million in a additional resources to, to be able to accomplish that. The bulk of those funds being for additional teachers, additional nursing staff to be able to, to drop class sizes and to, to socially distance and also to purchase protective equipment, uh, plexiglass, purchase masks and, and sanitizers and move into some of our more robust mitigation uh, measures. As we've been looking at the, the dollars uh, coming into Kettle Marine, we received about $60,000 in the first round that we used to reimburse some plexiglass. Kettle Marine has received about $270,000 in the, the second round, which we haven't yet requested reimbursement for, and we're anticipating uh, about $600,000 in the base funds from semester three. So I, at the moment, the dollars that have been allocated to Kettle Moraine don't yet allow us to reimburse the, the costs that we've already incurred. Now, the legislature has appropriated some additional funds that were part of the, the federal packages, and I believe it's about 150 or 170 districts that will be eligible for those additional funds if they're primary allocation under the formula for the federal funds was below a certain dollar amount, or if they were in face-to-face -face instruction 50% or more during the past school year. And we anticipate that that will primarily allow us to, to recover the, again, money already invested to, to educate kids this past year. We're currently in a holding pattern 
to better understand what will be allowable in terms of the funds that are specifically designated for learning loss or learning disruption. And once we have a better definition of that from the Department of Public Instruction, we'll be focused on how we can utilize our remaining funds to best meet the needs of the learners in our community that are traditionally underserved. How might that planning process be similar or what different in Beloit? This is Joanne from Beloit, and our planning process, being an urban district, we're averaging about 6,500 students. The allocation methodology with the Title I funding being the formula-driven Beloit being a higher poverty community, we are receiving more substantial allocation under all the federal funding rounds. In the first round, we received almost $3 million, and the second round, we are allocated about $8.4 million. So there's a lot of planning on our side of looking at how these funds will supplement our ability to engage our students. We did not return to an in-person environment until April of 2021. So the first round, similar to my colleagues, was the first rounds of funding were primarily utilized for technology, both for putting devices in our students' and staff's hands, but also technology to facilitate teaching in a distance environment. So we invested in some swivels and Nearpod technology that allowed classroom teachers to really engage and interact with our students in a distance environment. We did, of course, invest in PPE as well so that when we did return to an in-person, we were prepared with plexiglass and cleaning supplies. Um, Staffing and interventions were a huge amount of what we wanted to put that money in just for the distance learning environment to give additional supports to our students and looking at the mental health and well-being of both our students and our staff during the pandemic and the distance learning environment. So we are still taking a conservative look at how we will be planning out the uses for our third round of funding. Early allocations are expecting that allocation for Beloit to be close to $18 million. And with these being one-time funds, we need to be very strategic in, in how we plan to spend those monies to ensure that it will be sustainable for the district in the future. John, you noted that your district will be looking into what is reimbursable Is that something other folks are doing as well to kind of look at money that's already been spent and about which packages might reimburse that? Definitely. Again, John Stelmacher from Kettle Moraine. I believe that the the clarity for the, the first and second round of funding is pretty clear with the the direction that the Department of Public Instruction uh, has provided. There's a matrix of sorts that highlights what is eligible under each of the various acts. I think the the biggest question or or challenge at the moment centers around the 20% of the third round of funding that is specifically designated to address learning loss or learning disruption as well as the supplemental portion of the third piece of the funds. A number of districts listening to this podcast might be eligible for funds that will bring their 
minimum district allocation up to the $781. What uh, isn't yet known is the amount of money that the legislature used to fund that uh, minimum 781 per pupil. About two-thirds of the, the funding for those resources come specifically from a, a separate earmark in the federal legislation that requires all of those funds to be utilized specifically for learning loss or, or learning disruption. DPI is managing the process through WISE grants, which business managers and, and superintendents and bookkeepers across the state should be pretty comfortable utilizing. That's the normal platform for claiming annual federal appropriations for special education and title services and such. Maybe one of the big challenges in terms of making a determination on what to request reimbursement for or how to spend the funds would be districts prior to the state budget process had identified uh, throughout the, the winter and the spring some uh, one-time facility improvements potentially within their uh, heating and ventilation systems and have designated or were designating some of their funds towards those projects and that work. But with the change in the state budget to provide very minimal operating revenue moving forward, many of those districts that might have been anticipating using the, the funds for those uh, facility projects are now faced with, mm. uh, do they continue with those plans or do they shift some of those resources to some operating expenses that might be eligible as part of the grants that they otherwise were planning to have funded by uh, a normal state budget, which unfortunately didn't materialize. And this is uh, Brian from Menasha. We have uh, numerous funding sources that are coming through. We talked about the three, but there are still resources through FEMA to pay for personal protective equipment. Mm, okay. There's resources through the FCC's new emergency connectivity fund, which is going to pay for uh, internet going forward. And then if they have any money left over, they're going to go back to March when the pandemic started and fund people for those purchases. So we looked at a lot of what we claimed for and we uh, moved it around. So we did have Chromebooks in there and internet connectivity for our families. And we switched that out with um, some staffing with the hopes of we'll be getting funding from the emergency connectivity fund to reimburse us for those expenses. So there are some of those tweaks there that the federal government is bringing different pools of money into play and just how you're uh, appropriating things into those pools. John just noted that some districts might be reconsidering their planning given that the state budget doesn't have a very large increase next year and the year after. Can anybody else speak to that? Yes, this is Joanne from Beloit, and we are definitely in that process as well. Um, as the new funding sources are coming available, re-looking at how money was spent and really taking our time to, as, as Brian shared, maximize uh, where we can get reimbursements from versus just the immediate source of the federal funding projects that are identified through federal funding. You know, in Menasha, we're trying really hard to not balance our books with this one-time grant money. We're trying very hard, but we're also starting programs that we think will benefit our students. So in three years' time, we're going to have to make decisions on we keep those programs, what programs are going to be removed or changed uh, so we can fund these things. But with our demographics, we have a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity um, with Menasha receiving uh, almost $9 million in funds to really change how we educate the students and provide the supports that are, are needed.
we're also concerned on how we're going to be seen by the public and by the legislators. You know, after three years and they say, you know, you had $9 million, what did you do with it? Right. So, right. you know, we're tracking all of our data and everything on these programs that we're starting so we can say this is what we did, this is what worked, and this is our plan going forward. I've heard there are a number of, of vendors of private companies that are positioning themselves to help with certain aspects of this federal funding. What sorts of questions should districts be asking, and are there any specific areas where you think it really makes sense to hire a vendor? This is Joanne from Beloit, and um, what we are seeing, of course, besides the influx of sales emails and calls for uh, vendors wanting to help us spend the federal funding dollars that I think every district is receiving uh, locally in Beloit, we have heard from a couple of our community partners that are wanting to position themselves uh, with after-school supports and student supports that they can offer in conjunction with uh, the school district and being able to use some of those um, federal funds to incorporate that into the provisions outlined with mental health services and supports and addressing after-school and alternative learning in summer school. So we have been in conversations with them. We try to gauge the same level of expectation as we do with our staff and our own administration decisions on how will these programs and these offerings be sustained in the future without this funding. And are, we want to be very cautious that we're not in a position that we would have to either remove those in three years' time or would they be, like I said, self-sustaining on their own. So hmm. really focusing on this is one-time dollars and we have great opportunities, but we really need to be cautious in that planning and be strategic of where we can maximize that impact with sustainability as well. This is Sarah and Iola. I don't know that I have anything to add in those specific areas, but we're just trying to be really cautious of outside vendors and just making sure that we're trying to support and move forward with programs that we have in place that we feel strongly are benefiting kids. And if there's something new that we're looking to bring in, really just uh, making sure that it fits our strategic mission and vision and it supports students and it's something that we're going to be able to maintain long term. Just really taking the time to, to see what other districts they're servicing and how can it benefit us locally and will we be able to maintain it in the future. You noted some infrastructure spending that might be a good fit. Is anybody else considering whether it's HVAC or air quality or some related spending? This is Joanne from Beloit, and I can say we have definitely been looking at those options. Um, we have some older buildings that do not have air conditioning that we've been looking at that process. We've also utilized funding for UV filters in all our health rooms so that the nursing staff and the health services have adequate sterilization of air. I've also facilitated a total air quality test to test all our rooms so that we could identify rooms and buildings that need some upgrades and refabricating our heating and air conditioning systems within buildings that are on the older age. Most districts' biggest expense is staff, but spending this money on staff might be a challenge because when two or three years rolls around and you might not have funding for that person, it would be really hard to lose them and lose the services they provide. What are districts talking about in terms of spending this money on staff and 
This is Brian from Menasha. We were very careful when we brought on our programs and talked to the board and the community about this, that they are one-time funds and they will be going away in three years. But with that said, you know, we are bringing on staff. And uh, with that, we're either doing limited-term contracts or, you know, we're being upfront and transparent with our staff saying that this program could go away in three years. Hmm. Our intention is that it wouldn't go away, but we're going to be tracking data. And if it's not effective, it's going to go away like any program. You know, we do try to educate our legislators that this is all just one-time money. It's grant dollars and trying to get that through to them also. This is Sarah in Iola, Scandinavia. We also have been purposeful to try to not add any staff. There are some areas that we felt it a need. Before COVID, we had a nurse contracted to be in the, in the buildings one day a week, and we've increased that to a full-time position last year, and our plans are to maintain that for the upcoming year. That's really the only staffing position that comes to mind. Everything else, we've been trying to either do professional development or build on what we have to avoid being in a situation where we're going to have to lay people off down the road. We just heard, of course, of one potential pitfall of this is having to do layoffs in three years. Are there any other potential mistakes that districts could avoid? This is Joanne from Beloit. I do think we've hit on a lot of those potential missteps throughout this conversation. The biggest issue, I think, is to really understand that these are one-time funds and that we can develop the systems and structures that we want to address our learning loss or the unfinished learning that our students have done, we need to also recognize that the plans and supports we put in place either have to be sustainable or utilizing those limited term contracts. Um, From the business side, we also are looking at the supply chain disruptions that we've had with paper and other basic supplies is causing some disruption and increased cost in our districts as well as we try to prepare for upcoming years. This is John at Kettle Marine. Something else I just wanted to to highlight too, and I know we've previously talked about making sure that there's that alignment between the the spending and direct positive impact on student achievement. But I imagine that across the state, there are administrators and also school board members that are feeling the pressure to spend the money as fast as possible. And sometimes we take a deep breath to remember that we do have three years to to spend the funds. We just recommend that people take their time, make sure that they're they're making the right purchases because they do have another three full years to be able to to utilize the funds. This is Joanne from Beloit. I think one of those rush decisions that I have been trying to avoid within our district is making those facility decisions for mm-hmm. that infrastructure right off the bat because you know there's ever changing dynamics you know 6 months ago everyone wanted to put uv filters in every air handler and now there's litigation going on on what that actually does so had um, districts just poured all the money into those and not done thorough research and looking at those potentials you want to make sure that you are taking the time to review the decisions and and take the time to investigate all the the options and opportunities that can be had with this funding. I also want to talk about the community input requirements. To what extent do you view this as a new process or just kind of a continuation of what you've always done? This is Janet Kendall-Moraine. The third component or the third uh, piece of federal legislation 
does require school districts to engage with certain staff groups, uh, including teachers and teachers unions and other stakeholders and advocacy groups in the community in meaningful consultation. However, that doesn't necessarily require school districts to implement any or all of, of the recommendations. But certainly, I think school board members across the state and their administrative teams are committed to meeting the expectations of their community. What I sense that we will do locally is have a, a board workshop of sorts when we have a, a draft plan put together to get input, just like we would if we're applying for a DPI waiver for educator effectiveness, for example. We also have a, a process coming up this fall uh, where the, the community is doing some strategic visioning for the, I believe it's next five years. And this kind of lines up perfectly with, rather than creating a whole separate process, this gives us a good opportunity to try to build linkages between some of the things that our community is doing in particular, or not doing rather, that we need to be doing to serve some of our under underrepresented or underserved students. And this will be a good opportunity for us to try to align some resources with some of the needs that are identified as part of that work. I know that DPI and the Federal Department of Education are looking at or have released evidence-supported ways to spend this money. Uh, Dan, this is Brian and Manasha. You know, there's plenty of studies out there for all the things that we're trying, uh, but one study that really uh, caught our eye was one that Chicago Public School just did on um, spending money on intervention after the school day. And they saw tremendous gains after one year. We know that we don't have enough time in our school day to get all the interventions done that we really need to get done uh, just because of the, of the load. So, you know, we are looking at that study and how we can do it internally in Menasha to see if we can replicate the gains the same way that Chicago Public Schools did. For the final question, I wanted to hear from business officials about what sorts of guidance you're looking for from school boards. So if I'm a a school board member, uh, what sorts of guidance should I be giving a business official? What do you want to hear from the board as a whole? How can they best take their collective stance on what the community's values are and and kind of translate that to you? This is John Stelmacher, Kettle Moran. I guess I'll start. Kettle Moraine's school board utilizes a, a policy governance model, and the, the board's really focused on making sure we have strong policy and strong procedures that the, our, our superintendent and the administrative and leadership team then operate from. And I, I would say right now has probably been one of the most challenging times in my career to be an administrator just because there is such a wide spectrum of opinions and expectations within the community. Mm-hmm. For school board members, be prepared to ask good questions and, you know, in particular, some of those questions to ensure that what the, the district leadership team is recommending is aligned with community expectations. But I think it's really important for school board members to ultimately uh, support the recommendations of their leadership team whether you're a pupil services director, a business manager, a superintendent, the leadership had years of training and, and education to understand and come up with best practice. I think it's really important for school boards to understand. I know there's pressure in our community and others to to increase staffing and to hire more folks, to realize that 
if that's done, that's going against conventional best practice for, I'll just say businesses or business managers, that if you're spending one-time money on recurring long-term results, that's going to put you in a position where you're either going to be reducing those same positions uh, in the near future, or you're going to be asking the community for more local resources. So there, there are those ramifications. And then finally, I'd just say every student in every district is different. You hear a lot of things in local or state or national media. I know our state keeps talking about each student getting about $3,000 in federal funds. Well, that's true on the aggregate or average, but that's not true locally. And just because um, one district's getting more and another district's getting less, uh, doesn't mean that that's not uh, not a best practice. I mean, the the level of infrastructure and resources available to educate kids in Wisconsin are not equal. And we have, first and foremost, a responsibility statewide to serve all kids. I think don't rush to conclusions and ask good questions. And I, I would say to board members, administrators are here because we, we believe in the, the work our teachers are doing, and we are a resource for, for our school board. They don't have to necessarily wait to the next school board meeting if they have questions, maybe reach out ahead of time so we can build a, a better capacity of understanding so that everyone feels good and has ownership in the, the plans that the district leadership team uh, has been implementing. This is uh, Brian from Menasha, and you know, I don't want to echo everything that John said, but definitely ask questions. As administrators, we're here to answer your questions. You know, you're hearing from different sources than we're hearing. Uh, we want everyone to have a full understanding of you know, why we got this money, how much we got, and how we're spending it. Boards have to remember that every single district is different. My neighboring district is, has a totally different demographics than what I do. And, uh, you know, we, we all, you know, look the same, so people just assume everyone's the same. Um, it, and that, that's not how it is. Definitely ask questions. Make sure you fully understand things. This is Joanne from Beloit. Um, again, I don't want to echo everyone else. And Brian and John's remarks are point on. Our biggest issue here in Beloit is is that comparison and making assumptions um, within our um, local area that our demographics and our community are much different than uh, those neighboring communities. And we were one of only a few districts in the state that did not reopen in the the fall or the uh, winter session. We waited until April because that was what was working for our district. The key takeaway that we're taking from the last year and a half is implementing community sessions where I will be present and answer questions in open forums so that the community can get the understanding of what the school district and the administration is doing. Um, letting the board see that visible interaction of the administration with the community and with the board itself lends it to trusting that the administration is here trying to do everything for the good of our students. Did you have anything to add in that respect, Sarah? I think um, the other three colleagues covered everything very well. I, I would just add that as school administrators, we know the ins and outs of everything that's going on within our district. So Use this as a resource, ask questions, but our goal is to meet the needs of our kids, and we want to work together with board members to achieve that goal. So ask lots of questions, um, get to know what's going on, and, and pick up the phone or stop in.
Well, as far as other resources, I know that, John, you mentioned this DPI sheet that lays out the accepted spending, and I'll post that in the show notes. I know that you were also a part of a July 21st webinar, John, and that was a great resource, so I'll post a recording to that as well. Any other resources that you think business officials or board members would benefit from? This is Jordan Simbolite. I think we all are benefiting from the WESBO group and our regional groups in reaching out and really developing that collaborative nature of being able to run ideas and share suggestions and ideas. Um, it's a huge resource for all of us in our profession. All right. Well, thanks, everybody, for your time. I really appreciate it. Thank you. Yeah, thanks for the opportunity. Yes, thank you. Thank you. Take care, everyone. Thanks again for listening. Check the show notes to browse the resources we talked about this episode. See you next month.